The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. Thanks for tuning in again this week. It's great to have you with us. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining you this week from Mesquite, Texas, which is a suburb just east of Dallas, for a special live broadcast. If you've tuned in before, you know my media partner and sponsor is Jobbing.com. If you're not familiar with who they are or what they do, Jobbing.com is the leading locally focused job board in the nation. They are dedicated to helping employers find quality talent in their own backyard and giving job seekers control over their search so they can find work close to home. Great partnership. We'll try and help people get the work they actually want. For this week's program, I've got a special treat for you. I've literally taken the show on the road. Picture this, if you will. I'm in the Eastfield College campus here in Mesquite. And I'm sitting in room 118, by the way, and I'm sitting here with 15 inquisitive, interesting students studying communications. They're learning how to do presentations. And I've also got two people from the Etcetera student paper here as well. And everyone is literally eavesdropping into this conversation real time. My guest is Bob Hopkins, who is up to so many things, it boggles the minds to how to introduce him. Among other things, he's a philanthropist, social entrepreneur, educator, and change maker, and is still going strong at age 72. No signs of quitting whatsoever. He is a mentor, having helped thousands of young people find their truth and their personal purpose, which is music to my ears. He has served over 100 nonprofits and non-governmental organizations, helping their mission, vision, and strategic planning processes. Bob created the PAVE program, which stands for Philanthropy and Volunteerism in Education, which teaches children ages 7 to 12 how to serve their community and become a volunteer. Bob, it's amazing to have you with me on the show. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Nice to be here. Um, this is really, really fun. I have to credit Bob for the idea. It was his idea to bring the show here to the classroom, so I'm, I thought that was a great idea. I was happy to come, and it's great to meet your students. They're interesting, they're inquisitive, and they're here in the background listening as we, as we talk. So to, to get us started, as I mentioned, there's so many things we could say about you and how, what it is you're up to, so let me let you introduce yourself and tell us a bit about the work you're doing and that you're most excited about, and then we'll talk more in detail about the things that you say. Uh, well, the reason I do what everything I do is because uh, I want to be happy, and it makes me happy. If I'm not happy, I'm doing something else, <laughs> and that's that's truly true. Um, that's kind of the way my whole life has been. And I tell people, if you're not happy where you are, you need to get out. You need to do something else. Don't try to fix other people in your workplace. Go ahead and fix yourself and maybe make a change. But anyway, I'm excited to be here. Um, I'm, I'm here because of my students. Um, I know that I can make a change in their lives just by a few ideas. 
And all it takes is one great idea every day that I'm in class for these students to gather and, and learn from to make their life different. And so when I get letters or comments back from them in later years, they tell me, it was just that one idea, Bob, that you did or you told me that has really changed my life. And, you know, I can think of the same thing. I had a magazine called Philanthropy World Magazine that I wanted to quit every once in a while. And then I had a person who was a life coach would tell me, Bob, think of this idea. And he would give me one idea and it would totally change not only what I thought, but the direction of the magazine, which was a, made a, a great success later on. But um, I'm, I'm 72. I'm kind of shudder when you say that because when I was 52, I thought 72 was kind of the end of somebody's life. And I just feel like almost it's a new beginning for me. You know, I do still enjoy getting out of bed and I enjoy having my cup of coffee and doing just normal things before I head out the door on some assignment and some of it's planned and some of it isn't. But fortunately, I feel like uh, I didn't have to wait to be 72 in order to feel like I was free. And because uh, I've kind of always felt like I was free. And uh, people have said to me before, Bob, you do exactly what you want to. As if that was a negative. And I go, yay, isn't that great? <laughs> you get to do exactly what you want to in life. This is so much fun. So one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show, Bob, is precisely because that you are 72 and still going strong and have zero interest in quitting. It's one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on the show. And of course, the, what I, the work that you do in terms of your mission, in terms of instilling passion in children through volunteerism, I think is amazing as well. And we're definitely going to talk about that a little bit later. But I think it's... I think the world of work is really important and we spend at least a third of our lives working so why not work on purpose and enjoy it and because that you're still so incredibly engaged he's by the way audience he's he's beautiful he's in a beautiful suit he's very spry he came popping out to, to greet me when I came into onto the campus plenty of energy he's not going anywhere so that was part of the reason I wanted to have you on the show oh good thank you well I think senior citizens need special attention and I appreciate this special attention today <laughs> I suppose so <laughs> Uh, well, so would you just sort of sketch for us what are you involved in these days? I mean, they, if there was quite a list of things that I, I lost track of. Just kind of quickly tell us all the different things that you're involved in these days. Right. Well, I'm involved in things that make me happy, as I indicated. And I have horses, and those horses make me very happy. I have an an animals at my house. I have a dog and a cat, Puff and Lucy. They make me very happy. Uh, I have incredible family and relatives that make me very happy some of the time and most of the time, probably. Mm -hmm. That's an honest answer. Yeah. And um, I am involved in a program called PAVE, and you mentioned it already. And I'm just starting off with that, I suppose, because it's most on my mind every day. And it's something I started 15 years ago, and I'm just now fine-tuning it. Can you imagine after 15 years you would figure out that you had probably researched and done it all with that a particular project and this just seems to be getting better and better and better what I'm going to do with this program is to take children out of poverty which sounds amazing I just got back from Mexico where I was there for a year and people say what are you doing here and I said I'm going to stop poverty eradicate poverty in Mexico and of course the Mexicans just look at me like he's a crazy gringo where did he come from yeah you know what's he doing here how's that how's this going to happen and uh 
the past governor of Guanajuato, where I was, said to me, Bob, no tenemos la cultura de dar. And he said... Which is what in, in English for those of us who not... It is. Um, we don't have the culture here in Mexico of giving because fundraising was one of the things that I wanted to do mm-hmm. was to teach people fundraising in Mexico, which is what I've been doing for all my life here in Dallas. Um, but this PAVE program, of course, yes, it takes money to do it, but not just money. It takes an idea. Here's the deal. I think that poverty is a decision that people make at an early age. Mm. I think there's a few people like Obama maybe and like other some people that I know who lived in poverty but and they got out. How did they get out? Well, that's, I want more people to get out of it and I think it is a decision but I think it's information and information is freedom obviously and we're starting with second graders. And I started with college students and then I went high school students and then I went middle students and somebody said why not elementary and then what I realized is the only time that we ever involve people in the life of a child is after they're already in trouble. This is extra people outside of the classroom. And um, what I decided, because I learned this from Mexico, that second graders already are pretty smart kids. They understand what's going on around them. They know they're in poverty. They know that there's gangs on the streets. They know their brothers and sisters are involved in all kinds of different kinds of things. And they make a choice. Do I go with them or do I try to do something on my own? And nobody wants to do anything on their own. It's too scary. It's too scary to say no to your brother and sister, much less their friends as well, when they want you to sell dope for them or do something like that. But anyway, um, we're on a new passion road starting this coming Friday with taking an entire class of my students into the classroom with second graders, where we're going to be every Friday for three years. Wow. This isn't just a week and this isn't just a month. It has to be for it to take, though. Right. And see, they're going to go home and they're going to spend 12 hours in the same circumstances they were. And what I tell them in that one hour or what we tell them in that one hour is going to last probably six hours and then they're going to forget it and then they're going to go on vacation or whatever. And if we people think that we can do something significant in one moment, we can't. We have to do it over a period of time. So I've said three years. People say, why three years? Maybe it'll be five. Maybe it'll be two. Maybe we'll come up with some real answers um, in a semester that I didn't know right now. So um, we're going to try it and see. But some of the things we're going to start out with doing the first day is just uh, how to introduce yourself. How to stand up when people come into the room, for instance. Um, how to greet people. How to say hello. Uh, how to look people in the eyes and uh, we think that that in itself causes people to have self-esteem agreed and um, the simple things in life is what matters but people forget how important they might be and children who don't come from parents that have were successful in life with education are not telling their kids how to perform and behave at home if they misbehave, of course, it's a smack and it's go sit in the corner or some sort of disciplinary action. And I'm against any kind of disciplinary negatives on children. I think we can do everything with a positive and that's what we're going to do in class. Now, see, there's going to be enough of us. There's going to be 20 students with 60 or 50 kids. So it's almost a one to three deal, which means that if a kid 
starts acting up, we don't say go sit in the corner. We just put our arms around them because there's going to be enough of us in the classroom that we just put our, their arms around them and hold on to them until they settle down. I mean, you know, that's kind of, that's the kind of discipline we have. Is but you, a teacher in a teacher in one school with 20 kids in a classroom can't do that. So, but we have the advantage of having many of us. And so, how many kids are we talking about here? How many kids do you you hope to impact over this three-year period? Well, that's a good question because at the moment, I don't know how many schools we're going to increase every year, but my goal is 10 schools the first year. Okay. And we're starting off with just two schools this semester. Next semester, hopefully, we'll add five more, and then by the spring of next year, we'll have our full 10. And, of course, we're having to evaluate this all along every time because, see, I've never done, uh, I've never worked with second graders in the United States. I worked with second graders in Mexico, and the Mexican culture is a little different than our culture in the United States, um, but I don't know exactly what that's all about. Fortunately, I have a psychologist and a sociologist who are from Tarleton State University who love this project and can't wait to come in and watch it and see it and help us along the way figure out how to evaluate subjectively and technically or empirically those things that we want to measure, like posture and attitude and behavior and feelings and, you know, happiness, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I have to ask how in the world you're funding this. Well, fortunately, I'm getting paid by the universities to teach the class. And fortunately, I have administrators at my colleges, and we're in Eastfield College right now, who believe that we can improve our communication as much better outside in the real world, talking with children and teaching children, than reading it out of a book in a classroom with four walls and a couple of videos. So one of the things I find interesting about what you just said there, Bob, which is interesting, I, I have the, I've had the opportunity to, to serve on a board here in East Dallas called the Woodrow Wilson High School Community Foundation. And so got the chance to work with the principal of Woodrow Wilson High School. And when we ask him, what can we do as, a, as a, an organization do to help you serve your students and improve their, the quality of their education? You know what he told me? Don't start here. It's too late. Go to the elementary schools. Get them. Help them. That's how you can, that's how you can help me best. So that, to me, sort of echoes what you're saying as well. Yeah. I've been to Woodrow Wilson. We had a program at Woodrow Wilson, and I, we did high schools at first. And finally, one day I was at a dinner, and a lady sat next to me and said, what do you do? And then I told her, and she said, what about elementary? Mm-hmm. And I went, elementary? Oh, my God. Not elementary. And so she said, yes. In fact, at her elementary school, they were getting ready to start talking about social service and social responsibility. And I thought, let me be part of that that class and let me or that t- those teachers talking and so I went and guess what for a whole year we had a program called LEAP L-E-A-P oh I know LEAP That's, that was something you were involved in yeah sure and it was at McCoy Elementary School in Carrollton Texas and they loved it so much that um, they were willing to pay us to, to come and do it but back to me and you know how can I afford to do this I get paid by the universities to teach these classes and that's all my pay and that's 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 all we need we have odds and ends and and um, yes we're going to have some expenses and we need t-shirts that say pave on them and we need transportation buses to come to colleges we're going to take them out of the side of their class but you know I'm a fundraising person so therefore I don't have any fear of asking people who want to help help 
I'm a little worried about that after the interview. I know. You'll be getting a call. <laughs> well, I, a couple of questions I want to ask as well, because you are involved with so many things, and the global aspect of what you've been doing is hopelessly interesting to me as well. But I want to take us back first into the education space, which I think has been your whole career. Is that right? Well, uh, no. No. My, most of my career has been in business. I, oh. I had a magazine called Philanthropy for 12 years. Um, I also ran nonprofit organizations, okay. three significant ones over a period of 15 years. So, um, but I retired kind of at, at 65. I kind of retired for about a month. And then I met somebody from this college, Dr. Mary Forrest, who asked me what I was doing these days and she asked me if I had a master's degree and could I teach and I said yes and she said what and I said speech and she said I'm head of the speech department come and see me. So that started me off here at Eastfield College with one class then two classes then three classes then four and I couldn't stop there and so I just continued um, developing these courses and I really 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 love teaching formally in classes, even though I think we're all teachers, we've all been teaching all of our lives, no matter what we're doing, we're teaching, you know, so I've, I've, I've enjoyed that, obviously. What a wonderful plethora of experience to contribute to the classroom. I didn't know that you've been a nonprofit before, and I guess I did know something about the business aspect of what you did. I do know that you are a professional fundraiser, certainly through and through, and I can see how that contributes. Uh, but the other people that you have in the paid program aren't paid, aren't, are they? Or, or are they paid and somehow funded elsewhere. No, you know, I tried to pay somebody for a while and um, it didn't work out. It didn't work out not because of the money. It's just that I haven't found the right person to actually run the organization as yet besides me. And, you know, anybody who starts something knows that nobody can do it just exactly like you want it and like you do it, unfortunately. And um, I've tried to let go of it many times, but I'm, I'm on a path now and I want to be full time with it. I really love it. And um, all my classes that I teach I have to do with philanthropy and eventually I hope to get them out into a classroom so that they can have this experience with children. Can you imagine anything better than having the role models being college, university students? Absolutely. Hold that thought, Bob. It's time for our first break. Short one at that. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with Bob Hopkins, who is a philanthropist, social entrepreneur, educator, and change maker, and is still going strong at age 72. Why quit working when you're having so much fun, he says. He is a mentor, having helped thousands of young people find their truth and their personal purpose. Bob also created the PAVE program, which stands for Philanthropy and Volunteerism in Education, which teaches children ages 7 to 12 how to serve their community and become a volunteer. We've been talking about, about some of his passions, and you can see he's got a lot of them. After the break, we want to hear more about some of the work he's done across the globe. Stay with us. on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to the Working on Purpose program. If you're just joining us, my guest is Bob Hopkins, who is a tireless and hopelessly exuberant philanthropist, social entrepreneur, educator, and change maker. He has served over 100 nonprofits and non-governmental organizations, helping their mission, vision, and strategic planning processes. He created the PAVE program, which stands for Philanthropy and Volunteerism in Education, which teaches children ages 7 to 12 how to serve their community and become a volunteer. We are here together on the Eastfield College campus in Mesquite, just outside of Dallas in his classroom, where about 20 pairs of eyes are possessed by looking on at us here, quietly listening on the conversation here. They're, they're being very kind and very good and listening and intently without inter- interacting or causing any mischief. So thank you guys, girls and guys, you're awesome. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. Before the break, we were talking about your your PAVE program, Bob. Next, because frankly, I'm selfish like this, I really want to hear about your global experiences of trotting around the globe. Um, 100 nonprofits is an astounding number, and we don't have time to talk about them all, obviously, but a couple would be great. Um, I'd love to hear some examples of some of the projects that you're especially proud of. Okay. um, I'm a recovering alcoholic, and... um, as soon as I decided I wasn't going to drink alcohol anymore, which was 36 years ago, I decided uh, to volunteer for the National Council on Alcoholism out of New York. And wow, what an eye-opening experience that was. And that got me to learn how to fundraise. I went to fundraising school mm. that's owned now by the University of Indiana in Indianapolis, um, which is amazing when you learn that there is a way, a skill and an art in raising money. It's so much easier than just thinking, I guess I just need to start asking people for money, which is not the case. So anyway, um, I came to Dallas, Texas in 1984 and um, was hired by the Shelton School for Children with Learning Differences and Dyslexia, Dyslexia and Attention Deficit Disorder, which later on I found out I had. Um, attention deficit disorder. One out of ten people have attention deficit. And anyway, I raised money and realized that this fabulous school was there, and I just had an incredible run of three years there working with them. Uh, was hired secondly by the the Texas Neurofibromatosis Foundation, a terrible, terrible disease that causes tumors all over the body. A man approached me, said he had heard that my fundraising was successful, wanted to know if I would take over a foundation to try to find a cure for NF. I was with the organization eight years, loved every minute of it, learned so much about a huge group of people who have the fear every day of waking up thinking they're going to get another tumor that could kill them. Um, 
I met so many fabulous people from all over the world. I traveled all over the world with this disease, and I'm still involved with it today. In fact, I'm going to an event um, next week that I founded 22 years ago. It's called Dining Out in Dallas, and it raises most of their money. It's really cool. And um, the, um, those are the three major organizations that I actually was paid for, even though I have been consulting for a lot more. Those are the three I think that I've probably had the most impact for, with, but I've been mainly with health and educational organizations. I've consulted with the fine arts, which is dance and theater and music as well. Those organizations in fine arts significantly need help um, because a lot of people would rather give to health and education than to the fine arts, not thinking the fine arts really needed the money. Consequently, many of them fail every, every year. I'm really into uh, ecology. I'm, I care about this planet. And um, the other night I saw on the television a, a documentary about how we're, what we're doing with our orcas, our whales, that we're taking out of the oceans, the babies and taking them and putting them in SeaWorld and San Antonio's SeaWorld or whatever. And the grief that the mothers go through when they, a baby is taken from them. Mm. I turned off the TV, I said, I can't take this anymore. I went immediately upstairs to my computer and became a member of Greenpeace, which handles this particular topic, whales, freeing the whales of the world, but also other many ecological problems that we have in this planet. And I hope that everybody listening here knows that we are in trouble, serious trouble, and each of us has to do something about it. And I don't know exactly what that is, but that's some of the things that I care about. So what I hear you in you is you are you have your whole life been a mission driven guy. Is that right? Well, I just do things that make me happy. <laughs> and when I can find solve a problem, even a small one, it makes me happy. And I've learned that from donors. They want to get involved with things that they're going to be satisfied with if they think they can solve a problem. So those of you out there who are trying to raise money, make sure that your mission is to not just raise money, but to make your donor happy, because if your donor's happy, they're going to keep coming back. I'm involved in Nepal. I guess I've told you that as well. And I was going to cue that up. I have to hear about this. Right. And, you know, I don't think you go out and find your the problems or solutions. I think you they come to you. And I had a friend that became a friend because of philanthropy who started an organization called Global Community for Education, building schools in Nepal. He and his wife went to climb the mountains in Himalayas and met a young boy who was from the country, who was their Sherpa, who carries their baggage. He found him so intelligent that Don decided to send him to school. And what happened was Don finally went, raised the money and built schools in the mountains in Nepal for 900 children who did not have education because school was too far away. So he asked me to go and do it too, and uh, I raised some money. My family put my mother's name on one of the schools, and I was so happy with the response that I got from the Nepal children because they were happy that they were learning that I had to stay involved. And I've now sent three students over to Nepal for internships for three months each, living in the mountains and teaching English and the internet and the technology that, that so many people in the world don't do. And these are students, one now student from Eastville College who's going to be leaving next month or in May, as soon as he graduates from here, to go spend three months in Nepal. Um, I'm going to help him raise the money for the airline ticket. And then once he's there, of course, he'll live with families in the mountains. And it'll be an incredible thing. But I care a lot about Nepal. Mm. 
I'm not, made, I'm not mentioned in Nepal, but I was in India for about three weeks in 2014 and loved it. It was on my bucket list, and I loved the food. I loved the people. It was fantastic. I loved it. Right. I can understand that. Uh, I feel like I've waited long enough to ask you this next question. I'm dying to know the answer, and I want you to think about it and, and, really, and really consider how you, might, how you might respond. You are an extraordinary human being. You've done amazing things in your life, and you are still doing amazing things with your life. Where does all the energy from? I don't know. <clears throat> I wake up and get up excited. I don't know why. I don't know why. I really don't. Maybe it's because um, I'm attention deficit. Maybe it's because I came from a broken home. Maybe it could be because I'm a little nervous about doing enough in life in order to be recognized and remembered. I have my students all write their eulogies. How do you want to be remembered? And I keep telling them, I'm, the only reason I'm not dying is because I haven't done enough. That's what I tell them. And I'm still out there hunting for my purpose. Um, and I know that I've had small purposes, but I don't think I've really done enough to um, leave this earth yet. Because I don't want them just to say dust to dust and ashes to ashes, throw a tulip on my grave, which is my favorite flower, and say, Bob had a nice life. I want them to say, Bob was significant in some way or another and changed some people's lives. You say I'm a change maker. I wrote that, that I was a change maker, only because that's what I want to be. And I think you have to positively confirm or affirm what it is you want to do and want to be in order to be it. What a beautiful response, and I really appreciate the honesty of that and really sharing with us. That's what I ask of you, and that's this show is really about how do we connect with our, with our work in a meaningful way, and I wanted to understand you clearly are so driven. Where does that come from? And there was a lot for it to come from. What you gave me for that list was amazing, um, and I really appreciate that, and I really I'm, I'm find, I find it amazing that someone like you, who has the list of accomplishments and things you've been involved in, still doesn't feel like you've done enough. I know. I keep waiting for the, the day that I'll be able to say it's over. But you know what? I guess that's the day I die, and I don't want to die yet. yet, yet. I don't want you either. You've got too many great things you're doing for us. You, right. can't, go, you can't go for a while. Uh, and I also really applaud that, though, because, right, if, as you say, I haven't found exactly what I want to do in terms of my purpose, and so I'm going to keep looking for it, and I'm going to keep going until I do, and I hope you don't find it at this point. Right. When I think of going to work, I feel like I am going to work every day. Um, and work never has been a bad term for me. It never has been um, a negative. You know, I've always liked it. My first job was at A&W Root Beer Stand, washing mugs, making 40 cents an hour. And I loved it. And I've loved every job I've ever had. And I've always celebrated them. I've always done well at every job only because I've meant to do well at each of the jobs. And truly, again, as I indicated before, um, if you don't like it, get out. And I think I have gotten out before or maybe stayed too long at a couple. But I don't regret any of the things that I've done. And it's, I'm just waiting for the next opportunity. Do you have any idea how many countries you've worked in? You know, I don't know that I've worked in all of them that I've been to. But I, there's some places I haven't been as, as well. You know... Um, 
the government shut down a couple of years ago. Do you remember when the government shut down a couple of years ago for a couple of weeks? Yes, I do. Well, I missed an opportunity to go to Russia then because I needed a passport. Oh, no. And I couldn't get a passport fast enough because they wanted me like right now. So I missed Russia. I would still like to go to Russia. I think it's one of those countries. I had to go to China just because China is one of the biggest. It's some of the neg most negative things I've heard about a country was China, and I went to China, loved, loved my experience in China, but I do want to go to Russia, and there's some countries I haven't been to as yet. But I have, I've covered a lot of ground, and I encourage my students as well. How many of you, I say, have been, you know, out of the country? And I see two, three, four hands, five hands, six hands out of 15 people. And they will, because I'll insist on it. Um, you just have to uh, at least go abroad for one semester and then come back. And then once you do that, you're going to get the bug and you'll realize the cultures are so different around the world. Now, I've been in Mexico for a year and I love Mexico significantly, but I, was sure glad, I am sure glad to be back in the United States for right now, for right now, for right now. Is there something about your, your interest in, in visiting global places or something about that, that that is drawing you? You know, I have such diversity in here that I really, really like to. And I look at each of these students and I see that they're from different places and they're different races and they're different cultures and different backgrounds. And I always wonder why, where, when, how did they become the person that they are supposed to be? knowing that each of them are so unique. And as I tell them, I don't know why I'm in this room, but one of them is going to make a difference in my life. And this has happened. That's why I went to Nepal, because I had Nepali students in my class, and I wanted to know more about that. I was supposed to go to Bangladesh last summer, and it was because of a student whose father happened to run a university in, in Dhaka and wanted me to come, but I wasn't able to do that. So anyway, um, yeah, you're, you're, you're right. Um, I'm constantly looking to see what the next opportunity is going to be. And again, I think all of these students here make a difference in my life as much as I make a difference in theirs. I would say that's probably quite true. It's true for me too when I teach as well. Same thing for me. Well, what about the languages? How many languages do you speak, Bob? Well, I only speak Pig Latin and um, Hong Kong and alfalfa, two languages I made up as a child with my cousin. And I speak Spanish pretty fluently, and I speak some French. How did you come up with the, the, the two names for these languages, and how did you use them as a kid? Well, Hong Kong, my name is Bong O Bong, <laughs> right? And how are you is Hong O Wong, A Rong E, Yang O Yu. And my cousin and I used to speak to each other. Of course, you have to spell out everything, so it takes a while. And you learn to learn how to spell when you're like in second and third and fourth grade. Now, Falfa was the same way. My name is Balfa O Alpha. Balfa O Balfa Bob. So that's what it is. I love that. I think it's wonderful that you as a child and that you remember that and you still are laughing and enjoying it. I think it's wonderful. It's the little things in life, right, it's Bob? It's the little things in life. And, and how did you get the language, language skills? What did you learn first after English? I was born on the Mexican border. Okay. And I loved it. Um, I would mimic everybody. And so even though I wasn't speaking anything, I knew the accent. And those of you who are Mexican out there or Spanish realize I'm saying nothing, right? But I had the accent and I'd come back to my town in Garden City and all the kids would say, oh my gosh, you speak Spanish. And I was speaking nothing, you know. But I learned the, the, the accent early on 
and then I got a master's, I mean, I got a degree in Spanish. I studied in Spain, and uh, so that kind of got me on my road to speaking Spanish. I love Spanish, and I love the Mexican culture. And I've been to Costa Rica, and I've been to Nicaragua, and Guatemala, and Puerto Rico, and Dominican Republic, and, and I'm wanting to go to Cuba now. Yeah, me too. Definitely. In fact, one of my girlfriends said there's a trip she's trying to organize in, in October, and I'm trying to figure out, can I make it work so I can go with her? Right. And what about the French? Where'd that come from? Well, I went to France for a week and, and didn't know anything and was so frustrated because I couldn't ask, I couldn't spe- I couldn't respond. So I came back immediately and took 16 hours of French at the University of Kansas where I was going to college and never used it again because I never went back to France. So I still have to go to France to do that. And the only way I practice it is with my French students. And I have had five students who were French from Me- in Mexico who were there as foreign exchange students. So I got to practice a little bit there. Il joue pas le français un petit peu. La rue de Paris est une des rues les plus connues, you know. So. <laughs> I'm, I'm embarrassed to tell you that my first foreign language was French, and I don't remember any of it, but it became the basis of me learning Spanish and Portuguese and a little bit of Italian if I had just enough wine. But it's, it's unfortunately evaporated otherwise. Mm-hmm. All that work. <clears throat> right. Well, I think languages are great. I've given up on them. You know, in, in uh, Nepali, I know one thing, it's namaste. And I've decided that's all I need to know is namaste. Everybody's starting to speak English in, you know, what languages are difficult, especially those languages like Nepali. It's uh, very difficult. But, you know, the world is learning English, and um, they they should. And uh, I guess I could learn. um, I learned Spanish better just by being there for a year. I thought I was really good before I went, and then I went, and I really got caught up in their lingo and their slang. And has some difficulties uh, keeping up sometimes. Yeah, I can, I can appreciate that. There's nothing like immersion to help you realize just what you don't know. I want to go ahead and give us a break now because after the break, I want to talk more about the paid program and really how you do plan to eradicate poverty. I think that's such an important thing to talk about. So let's go ahead and take our, our break here, our second break. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with Bob Hopkins, who is a philanthropist, social entrepreneur, educator, and change maker, still going strong at age 72. He's always saying, why quit when you're having so much fun? And he's happy. There's more things that he wants to do in life. And I love the fact that he's pursuing his greater purpose still and and still chasing that. Um, He also created the PAVE program, which stands for Philanthropy and Volunteerism and Education. We're going to hear more about that after the break. Stay with us. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. 
inspired, encouraged, and connected on our lively, award-winning Healthy Living Power Hour. Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany, live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in to the Power Party for positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Visit StarStyleRadio.com. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise. A-L-I-S-E at EliseCortez.com Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose program. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. If you're just joining me, my guest is the amazing Bob Hopkins, tireless and hopelessly exuberant philanthropist that he is, among many other things. We are here on the Eastfield uh, College campus here in room 118 with about 15 amazing students who have been listening in on us here. And they've been good enough to, when I combed them over the break, to say, well, what else do you want me to ask this man? So they gave me a couple more questions before we get into more of that PAVE program and how he hopes to eradicate poverty. But one of the things the students would like to know from you, Bob, is who were your early role models? That is definitely a good question because we all have role models um, and mentors. My mother is the one who carried me, not carried me, by the hand, drugged me along by the hand when she did her volunteer work. Uh-huh. And, you know, in little towns, all the mothers get involved in their children's activities. And uh, I remember my mother taking me to a very dark, dank trailer house on the other side of the tracks in my hometown. On Thanksgiving, with a big sack of food, we walked into this trailer house and it was dark and people were like very unhappy. There was no smiles when we walked in. We put down the food. My mother was excited. I just watched and listened. And when I walked out, I looked at the people and they were smiling for the first time. And I remember giving myself a little pat on the back as a child thinking, we did good today. This was a good thing. And then I realized that that made me happy. It made my mother happy. And everything I've done since, and everything everybody does since makes them happy. I know it does. It just is one of those things. When you do good things for people, something happens inside the body and it just makes you happy. And how old were you when this first started? I think it was like five or six years old. I knew then that helping people made people happy. I can appreciate that. And I have to tell a quick little story that, that's along those lines. I, too, have drugged my little baby girl around with me with my volunteerism assignments. And she probably will never forgive me for that either. But one fast story was when she was about two and a half, three, I was speaking at some in front of some group looking for money for an, an event that I was raising money for, another, for a beneficiary in East Dallas. And I finished um, the, the, the talk by saying, so come on out to the event and don't forget your checkbook. And my baby girl was in the back of the room. She had stood up on a chair, and she had a, a, a stuffed bunny rabbit, and she swung it around her head, and she said, yeah, and don't forget your bunny either. 
And I thought, you're coming with me every time I have to go and ask for money. So what I wonder today, at age 13, what she thinks about all that, because it went on for years. Mm -hmm. I hope it has the same positive effect that your mom had on you. Yeah. And my mother got to watch me do a lot of the stuff that I did. and. Um, uh, she was proud because she saw that I was doing things she loved doing as well, doing good for other people. So it was kind of fun. Any other role models besides your mom? Yeah, I have some. My father was a role model in the work ethic. You know, he was a lawyer. My grandfather was a lawyer. My great-grandfather were lawyers. And um, I just he would be gone out of the house at 8 o'clock every morning and home by 5.30 every day. He never took off. He never was sick. He had a great work ethic. And I knew going to work was the thing that was a responsible adult would do so uh, from him the, professionally Doug Lawson wrote the book give to live and I was at his knee bended knee listening to him in the 80s when I started getting into philanthropy and this book give to live is a major one you can get online and order it for two dollars used book Amazon it changed my life about why people give and what giving does for you um, another person in town here in Dallas is Scott Murray. Scott Murray was a newscaster for Channel 5 for 29 years. And he does so much for the community and has written several books on leadership and leadership qualities um, and what athletes do. So he has opened my eyes to the world of sportsmanship. I mean, how sportsmanship is taught through the world of athletics. And so I, I really admire uh, Scott Murray. So those, those two, I think, are specific. I think it's wonderful that you could rattle off that response because that was a, just a quick planted question that we got on the break here, Bob, so thank you for that. The next question may be related to that, and maybe you've already answered it, but it was the question was, what made you get started helping people at such an early age? And is, maybe that's your mom. Yeah, I think it was my mother. I had a circus in my backyard, and all the proceeds went to the church kind of a thing. We did car washes, you know, at church. Um, Church has been an important part of my, my life and not necessarily um, my own, own, not only my spiritual life, but has helped me understand about doing things for people because that's what churches are supposed to be about is doing things for people. And I came from a good church. So that's, that's been important as well. Nice. Well, I'm just what, thumbs up audience. Is that good? All right. They're giving me the thumbs up. So um, I think that means he passed. So he gets to, he gets to keep going. Um, so for the remainder of the program, which is really only probably about 10 minutes or so, um, I really want you to talk a little bit more deeply about how you position your PAVE program. You've, you've said the program will not only help children develop higher self-esteem over time, but you've also made um, the assertion that you believe it's going to lessen crime rates and maybe even eradicate poverty. So I want to make sure that our listeners can understand how you think that's going to happen. Okay. It's really simple. Um, what I know and what I have learned through my long life is that people feel good about themselves when they do something good. I learned it from adults who would say, thank you so much for my husband and I being involved with your organization. It has done so much for our relationship. I've seen people from the stage who give millions of dollars cry and say, we have been given so much more than we've ever given ourselves. So I know that giving makes people feel good. And so then I thought, and after I worked in Mexico, I thought, what about children, small children? Do they feel good about giving also? And how do they feel about it? And I learned that they did, that their self-esteem went up. And I learned through 
middle school kids that when their self-esteem went up, their academics were better. And not only were their academics better, their teachers and their parents would call me and say, what have you done to our children? You came in with your group today and my kid is a whole different kid coming home from school. They now come in and they want to uh, go study in their room. They want to eat just a snack. They don't want to watch TV. They want to be with the family. Then on weekends, they drag us out and we plant flowers at the school or at the park. What have you done to our children? And then I thought, you know what? I think I'm onto something here. Here's what I think. If we get these seven-year-olds who are in poverty to feel good about themselves through community service, and they can do community service, they can pick up cans in the yard, they can give somebody a book, they can go pick flowers, they can make cookies and, and paint them and give them as gifts to old people and old folks' homes. If they can feel good about themselves, their academics will be better because they feel better about doing good. And when their academics are better, they're going to make better choices, especially if we give them multiple choices. You have a choice of smoking pot, robbing a bank, buddy. And I think that every time a good child, a good child who learns good because they feel good about themselves is going to do good. And I think their choices are going to be better. We're also going to put into their minds things that probably teachers don't have time to put in their minds, like you're going to go to college. You're going to stay in school. You're not going to miss. You're not going to be sick. You're not going to give an excuse to do these kinds of things. And um, I think we're going to get children to make different decisions about their lifestyles. Now, I think that most people who grow up in a home and what they hear from their parents, they believe is probably the truth. And I know that it isn't always the truth. And I know that lots of people, adults, talk to their children negatively about their negative behavior. Now, if we can counteract that in the classrooms over a three-year period every Friday by using only positive messages and this is right and this is wrong, I think that our children will believe us in giving information that teachers don't have time to do because they're already so bogged down by having to teach reading, writing, arithmetic, chemistry, and, and everything else. Um, but we'll see, you know, check with me in a year and I would love to have my students come on your radio show and talk about what they think about the PAVE program and what they have learned and what are their choices now as opposed to just a year ago when they were in second grade. Now they're in third. So how do they feel? I think it's going to be a whole different kind of a kid. I think it sounds amazing. And I absolutely, totally buy the whole notion of that. When when somebody helps somebody else, they feel good about themselves. They feel good and feel good about themselves. So I get the self-esteem part. It makes sense if they feel good about themselves, they're going to study longer and harder and persevere, make better choices in general because they want to, they want to be that good person that they, they feel good about. So that makes sense. Um, get, let's get on to the crime rates then and, and, the, eradic and the eradication of poverty then. So... I can see the notion about choices, and you mentioned already, you know, choosing between smoking pot and um, robbing a bank and helping someone. Um, but over time, can you help us understand how you think the program will affect those those things? Right. Okay. Um, one of the things messages I want to give to these children is the way they are living, if they're living in poverty, is not the right way to live. That their parents didn't cause it, and it was not their fault. But there is a better way. And um, I want to go through the neighborhoods, though, and I want to go into their homes and find out 
and learn more about this circumstance and situation. And I'm connected with Tarleton State University, so I have psychologists and sociologists who are going to help me with this project because I don't know everything. But, you know, one of the things I'm best at is surrounding myself with people who are smarter than me about this particular topic. And so this is in one of those situations. Uh, now, look at these students here. These are the kinds of students who will be going into the classroom. And not only do the children change, but these people will too. That's what I have seen here at Eastville College when I've taken students. They dress better, they sit up with better posture, they walk better, they care more about their academics themselves when they realize that they have been a role model and they have been teaching children to be somebody maybe they're not. And they will rise to the occasion. I've seen it in adults, I've already seen it in my student body. And how could these kids look any better and be any better? But they will be better, I can promise you. And they'll have maybe different goals and they'll have a more positive attitude when that's what they have to instill in somebody else. You know, when you teach something, you learn as well. And I learn as much from them as I am actually teaching them. I tell them that every day. I've changed my mind so many times about so many social issues just because of their speeches that they have given about topics that mean a lot to everybody, such as abortion, execution, and of course I'm talking politics to them, saying to them, they can't be a responsible American and not vote. They've got to vote. They've got to vote. You know, I'm telling them that. And that's what I can tell my kids too. No matter how old they are, when you get big, you've got to vote. One of the other things that occurred to me as you were talking, and I love how you're tying this all together, Bob. It's so exciting for me. These are such big ideas that you're working on, such big problems you're working on. And I love the fact that you're starting with seven-year-olds. I love that. It makes so much sense to me. One of the other things that occurred to me as you were talking, and I wonder if this is by design, Friday. So you're doing this program on Friday. Is that so they can cascade over the weekend before they come back to Monday and hear the old message again? <laughs> I had thought of that, but thank you. I think that's the reason. <laughs> I do it on Friday because that's when my class is, is on Friday morning. But what I'm hoping next year is that we're doing this every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, in five different schools because I have five different classes that may be in one school or two different schools. So I hope to do it every day. And I hadn't thought about Friday, but I think it's a, a great uh, idea that you have there. Let's go with it. Okay. Well, we're almost out of time here. We've just maybe two minutes here. Can you, I always like to give my guests the last word, if you will. So in about a minute, you know, if you can help us kind of understand, I mean, this world is about how people can more meaningfully connect to the world of work. Final thoughts about that. Right. Um, I've given my final thoughts probably five different times in five different ways in the last hour. Um, here's what I tell people, that there's a plan and you need to go with it. And if you're not sure what the plan is, you go inside of yourself, you pray about it and ask your higher power to give you the answers to whatever dilemma you have. And if you ask enough times, you'll finally get it and you'll know what you're supposed to do. I think that every decision that we make um, will be totally dependent upon your circumstances and about being aware of those positive things that come in your life. Great way to finish, Bob. Thank you so much. What an amazing guest to have on the show. Thank you for lending us your spirit, your time, your energy, your gifts. Thank you so much. Thank you. If you want to learn more about Bob, please visit his website. It's kidsphilanthropy.org. Remember that, the, that your life is going to be spent at least one-third at work, so let's keep working on purpose. Join us next week. See you then. 
hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.